Yiridumarung Mudgee, hello friends, and welcome to another Take It Black. My name is Ray Johnston, I'm your host for this episode, and I'm lucky enough to be bringing you interviews with two very talented creators. First up, we have Evelyn Araluen. She's a poet, a researcher, she co-edits the Overland Literary Journal, Her widely published criticism, fiction and poetry has received multiple awards and prizes. She was born and raised on Darug country about 10 minutes from where I grew up and she's a descendant of the Bundjalung Nation. She's also just released her first book, Drop Bear, which confronts the tropes and iconography of an unreconciled nation with biting satire and lyrical fury. This is an innovative mix of poetry and essay, and I spoke to Evelyn on the day her book was released. I was a little bit excited to be chatting with her. Oh, I am I'm really, really excited to be speaking with you because yeah, I've just just finished the book and I could relate to so much in there that I as soon as I'd read a couple of pages I'm like we grew up in the same area I know all of these places that you're talking about like I I I know this and I feel this and yeah I I felt like you'd written it just for me which feels really <laughs> strange to say <laughs> no, because beautiful. You know, who do you write for do you write for you do you write with the intention of consumption or is it just <sighs> like a cathartic thing that you have to do you know I I think I probably once upon a time knew the answer to that and I I think if I if I was trying to kind of speak in a sort of official sense, in an official sense, you know, it's this idea that I was always raised with, which is about, you know, speaking speaking first to those who've come before you, then you speak to those who are coming next, and then you kind of, you can trust that whatever you've said for yourself is going to be understood along those terms. But it's such a complicated kind of negotiation and so like a lot of the time I do honestly just write for my sad little computer and just hoard <laughs> for un, unapplied for projects and all of the poems I've never spent anywhere so it's just I write and I make a decision about whether I feel like work deserves to be seen or not and then I also I do I do write for other people a lot and then just never show it to them. And that's <laughs> really weird, I have to admit. Nah, I don't think that's weird. I think it's it's part of that process, isn't it? It's, you know, when when that's how you kind of get your feelings out or, you know, it's kind of like self-therapy in a way, really. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper than, uh, <laughs> than a therapist, really. Maybe that's what it just comes down to. It's cheaper and easier to just write something instead of go and see a mental health professional. Poetry, cheap therapy. We'll get on that's it. Pretty much it. <laughs> Somebody needs to copyright that. Well, I do have to say it because I haven't said it yet. Congratulations on Drop Bear. It's, it's debuted now, it's out there in the world. I've yes, seen it all over social birthday. media. Um, I've seen it in the hands of people and, and seen so their thoughts. crazy to me seeing other people kind of encounter it as an actual object. Like I love it so much. I love the artwork. Jenna Lee created a really beautiful design for it. And so seeing other people like taking photos with it is just insane. I, I haven't really wrapped my head around it yet. Have you read many of the responses to it yet? 
Oh, everything I could find, of course. <laughs> yes. Obsessively just trying to track down any thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've been really impressed by this whole culture of Instagram book influencing and reviewing and discussing, which was amazing. I feel like that's a part of Instagram that I actually didn't really notice. So getting a kind of a special media response and being able to immediately hear people's unfiltered thoughts about you know their experience of reading through it as soon as they finished it's just amazing like I feel actually particularly after the year that we've all had of social isolation and distancing I actually feel really well connected to people and it's just so reassuring to know that something that for me felt like a really specific set of experiences has has spoken to other people you know like it spoke to you it's something that you related to that's amazing for me. I I didn't predict anybody having that experience. Oh, so much. I related to so much. That's even you speaking about, you know, seeing all the destinations on the green signs on the side of the road. Mm. I'm like, oh, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. And, you know, more than once I was in tears and just had to kind of put it down and come back and not through anything that I felt was intentional on your part. It was just that relatability. Like I didn't feel like I was being coerced into an emotion. I just felt like I was naturally feeling it because it was something that I had felt too. And uh, you conveyed it so beautifully. You're so good with words. How how did you learn to be so good with words? Have you been inspired by people around you? Did someone sit you down and teach you? How did you do this? I mean, I think we're we're a very lucky culture in the way in which story is so central and such a poetic force in our lives, even if we don't, you know, don't necessarily realise that ourselves at the time. And so I was very lucky to be, you know, raised with a constant kind of surrounding of dreaming stories, but also by, you know, by my parents, as I write about a little bit in the book, my parents didn't have this kind of guaranteed access to literacy. They had to get books for their kids themselves. They had to sort of find these stories and make decisions about how to raise their children into a storytelling culture, uh, as well as an Australian literary culture, kind of knowing that some of those representations might be harmful. Um, And I think it was not even just what I read, but it was that tenderness and relationship that my parents actively raised us through and kind of the whole time trying to get us, me and my siblings, to be very self-reflexive about what we consumed, you know, telling us like, ah, this is a story about the bush, but these little you know, snuggle pot and cuddle pie babies running through the bush. They're not you. And you need to understand the history of why this can be damaging. And that's a lot of weight to be given as a young child when you're just trying to enjoy the story that your parents are telling you at bedtime. But I do think that, uh, I think that it's had a really profound impact on me as a writer, but also, you know, as a teacher, as somebody who feels like, the benefit of the stories that we have is also a responsibility and there's a lot of accountability that has to come as a result of that. And I don't know if I've necessarily navigated that, but what I have tried to do in this book is just be as honest as I possibly can be about what that process is, what that weight feels like. 
um, you know, to be raised into your own storytelling tradition that is in opposition to the stories that have been projected and imagined onto the landscape that you grow up in. So it was all weird and complex. Um, it took me a really long time to like my own writing, um, to actually feel like it represented what I wanted to say. And I sometimes still feel like I'm not there yet and I read the incredible work of, of other poets at the moment, you know, Alison Whitaker, Ellen Van Nieven, and I just, I'm just constantly floored by their power and ability. But they're also such supportive people and it's such a supportive community that if you, you know, if you, if you want to write and you want to improve your writing, there's always mob there really excited to help you and support you in that. So that's just basically I've just been so lucky and so blessed by community. That's great. That's I grew up thinking that poetry was for and by old white men muttering about, Absolutely. you know, roads less travelled and whatnot, mm -hmm. which is obviously very wrong. But what misconceptions do you think people have about poetry? And you know, do do we need to fight those? I I would say that the, the biggest it's not even necessarily a misconception. I just think it's um, it's almost like an irresponsibility with the way that our education system does sometimes handle poetry. You know, I didn't realise that poetry didn't have to rhyme until I'd say I was probably about at uni. You know, I knew it in an abstract sense, but had it, anyone actually exposed me to contemporary poetry, to, to work that pushed any kind of boundaries? No, never. And so I really do feel like we need we need to start from a much earlier period in people's development uh, to respect and appreciate poetry as a contemporary form and not just as this domain of old white culture. Um, you know, we need to understand that it is actually so diverse and so creative and it really does have a place for so many different kinds of identities and experiences within that that are just not really being respected in the way that they should. So it's partially, you know, it's partially education, but I just also think now, you know, there's no excuse for institutions not sharing some of the amazing resources that have been produced and that are out there. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of like you. I didn't realise poetry was a thing. I didn't really take much of an interest in poetry until I actually met poets. And it was through, <laughs> you know, meeting poets that I, I started to really care about what they did and all of the love and feeling that they poured into that. And so in that sense, it was actually, again, like it was a communal kind of community-based phenomenon. And that is really beautiful. It's a lot easier to share a poem than it is to write a whole novel and share a whole novel with your mate and hope that they've got time <laughs> to read that. That's what role do you think poetry can play in facilitating understanding between you know, all people living on this continent about the history of this continent? Uh, I think it can have, you know, just an enormous, an enormous role. You know, there is so much wisdom and expertise in contemporary Aboriginal poetry at the moment. You know, I'm thinking of amazing writers like Janine Lane and Ellen Van Nieven who are encoding cultural knowledge in their work and what they're sharing is the intimacy of their feelings and experiences about that, the history that, that, you know, all of that knowledge has carried as it's been passed on through families and through generations. And, you know, 
outsiders to that should feel really lucky that they get to be a part of that story, that they get to witness and hear that story and that they have so much to learn from. It is a bit disheartening when those opportunities aren't taken up. But I do, you know, I feel like by engaging with some of that diversity of what's out there now, even if it does feel a little bit uncomfortable and unsettling, and, you know, I I personally, you know, sometimes I do write intentionally quite confrontational poems because I think that's also a part of the process. Poetry shouldn't always just be there to make us feel better. It should help us challenge ideas and think critically about the world that we're in and if we have that communal participation you know if we share poems and talk about them publicly and we share ideas and responses to it so it becomes less of like an object or a phenomenon but more of actually like a conversation an act then I think there's a lot of potential for cross-cultural understanding and a lot more potential for a, a respectful knowledge of this country. You know, our culture was transmitted through story. Law was transmitted through songs and stories, you know. If that's how we learnt, why can't outsiders pay attention and learn from that as well, you know? Yeah, and when I think of some of your more you know, challenging pieces, I think you could probably call them, you know, often they seem to be providing a counter to, you know, that widely consumed Australiana or all those films and books and poems that we've, you know, just kind of had thrumming in the background of our lives growing up. And your work is so meticulously researched and clever in those references. And I'm wondering how much time you've sunk into, you know, consuming that counter media and or if it's just stuff that's been with you all along have you had to seek it out so it's kind of a little bit of both the whole project came from me wanting to write critically or write against a few things that I'd just sort of grown up with um and observed and observed and taken in and you know I'm lucky like because I had my parents there that were constantly telling me you know consume this stuff but don't necessarily trust it and equipped me with critical thinking tools and equipped me with the safety to, to, to point out to them when I thought something might be wrong or something might be problematic. Um, you know, so I was very lucky to have that. But as I got older, I realised that not everybody held these sorts of ideas or representations under the same suspicion that I did and people were kind of unironically consuming things that, I knew to be harmful. I knew to be embedded in racist tropes and to be the kinds of representations that erased uh, erased people like me, stories like, you know, my family's story. And so that was something that I just became increasingly quite uncomfortable with. And then at, as I sort of started working more specifically on this project than on on um, the ideas around um, around Drop Bear and and Australiana and Kitsch, uh, that was when I started actively looking for this material. So looking at, you know, the history of advertising and and um, Kitsch and these sorts of representations of Australia and how they were sold internationally and how they became a part of maintaining this national idea of what Australia was so that it could be it could be basically just sold um you know it was startling how much was there how just obviously bad a lot of it seemed yet how much 
it had evaded criticism. And I still think that that's something that is really proliferating now. Like it takes you about 30 seconds to go online to find some kind of racist representation that's being sold unironically, you know, the gollywogs or yeah. the ashtrays and, and things with Aboriginal faces on them, all kinds of really dodgy things. And they're still out there. This book is not going to get rid of them. I'm just hoping that, like my parents equipping me with a couple of those tools when I was growing up and encountering these stories, this encourages readers to hold some of these objects and ideas with some amount of suspicion. And is that the main hope that you have for what readers take away from your book, to be able to you know, hold that suspicion and look at things more critically? Or is there is there something more? I think... I think it's complicated. Like, I think that that's sort of where the feeling that I want people to have, but I also want them to understand, and I try to do this as much as possible, I want them to understand that we aren't necessarily bad people for loving things and finding uh, finding comfort and nostalgia in certain things, no matter how complex they might be. So for, you know... For all of the criticism that I level against Snugglepot and Cuddle Pie and Blinky Bill, I still have this weird love of all of these ideas and these images. And producing this book didn't get rid of that. It certainly made it a lot more complicated. <laughs> but as I as I speak to Mob and I ask them, you know, it's a really actually it's a really interesting question to ask older mob and I was surprised myself when I, I realised this but when you ask about things like Snuggle Pot and Cuddle Pie and Blinky Bill and the magic pudding and all of that you'd be surprised how many people from the cultures being insulted or denigrated by these representations actually know and have fondness for them so yeah. it's not it's, it's, it's like the queen <laughs> oh exactly oh listen I had poems about the queen that I felt like I had to take out for defamation purposes. <laughs> Can you defame the Queen? Is that even possible? Oh, you know, I'd give it a crack. I'd give it a good red hot go. But, um, you know, it's, it's, we shouldn't necessarily, we shouldn't necessarily just immediately cast out people whose, um, you know, whose thinking or whose, whose preferences haven't necessarily gone through a, a full decolonial revolution. I think we have to be patient with ourselves and give ourselves the space to have complex and nuanced thoughts about things and work through a process. So ultimately, I kind of hope that the book feels like it's a part of that conversation and doesn't feel like it's a lecture. Fantastic. And I think we are running out of time, but is there anything else that you'd love people to know about Drop Bear? Uh you know, it was produced with some really amazing support from a lot of mob, and so I'd really encourage people to read Ellen Van Nieven, who edited it. Uh, Alison Whitaker is another amazing poet, and she was there supporting this project from the start. It also, um, you know, I had Annie Janine Lane giving me guidance and advice on this process. So just read Black Books, you know. It's... Nothing that we do is as a singular, it's always communal. So if you like Drop Bear, please go, just go and embrace some of the the amazing contemporary Aboriginal women's poetry that's out there because that's what built this book. Um, you know, and also Tony Birch too, he was a mentor for this project, you know. Read Tony's work um, and just sort of, I, I hope, appreciate the whole conversation that goes into a work like this. That's it. And when and where can listeners get their hands on a copy? 
Uh, so today is the release date. Uh, so it should be in booksellers, um, a lot of independent booksellers across Australia, um, but it's also being stocked by Dimix and you can get it online through Booktopia or the Book Depository. I just, I'd love it if as much as possible people try to use Australian retailers and support the Australian publishing industry. Uh, but you can also come to my launch if you're in Melbourne on the 12th of March uh, at M Pavilion Parkade. Oh, perfect. Thanks so much, Evelyn, for your time today. Thank I really you. appreciate you chatting with me. And thank, thank you for you. writing such fantastic work. That's. I feel like I never quite have the adequate words to describe it. Oh, that makes you feel pretty special. So that's all you need. Well, I think you are pretty special, sis. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. That was Evelyn Araluen, author of Drop Bear, which I highly recommend. Take it black. My next guest is Nicholas Ritchie, who you may know better as at Nick Topher on Instagram. Nick is a creator, a gamer, a podcaster, and he's using his platform to put out collaborative video podcast content and activist content. He's passionate about mental health and raising awareness for Indigenous issues, and we spoke about how social media can be used in this way and why platforms like Instagram are going out of their way to support it. We caught up just before Mardi Gras too, so we chat a bit about that as well. Yeah, I was really looking forward to talking with you about all this Instagram stuff. It was really cool seeing your name come through on the on the email list. So tell me a little bit about how you're working with Instagram at the moment. Yeah, well, um, with Instagram, I've been, apart from my own personal use of Instagram, um, Instagram's really been using opportunities to highlight uh, black creators such as myself to uh, really get the message out about activism, and it's not. And usually, when we when I think about highlighting in like a very like a, a sense of like big companies wanting to highlight like people, sometimes my mind goes to oh, but is it tokenistic? Yeah. But there seems to be like I've had nothing but like this positive experience. Been like okay, here's we're we're, we're highlighting a web black creators such as myself. Um, to talk about issues that actually matter, to talk about activism, to talk, but not even that, but to also talk about, like, identity and just whatever we want to talk about. That's really cool. Why? So why do you think they're doing it? I think they're doing it because there's been, like, a major shift um, in how everyone is approaching um, not only uh, Indigenous issues, but also just, like, um, issues that are surrounding uh, people of colour across the entire world. Um, I think there was a major shift last year around June where uh, the entire world was having their Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and it's and there's been this need to highlight the experience of Black people, um, of Indigenous people, of people of colour to... Um, ensure that there's representation, um, to ensure that everyone um, knows what the issues are that are surrounding them and their communities and personally. Um, so, yeah. Nice. And how do you use Instagram? Because you do a bunch of different stuff. Mm. How, do you, how do you know what belongs on Instagram and what belongs somewhere else? 
<laughs> That's a good question. Um, it's uh, when I first started using Instagram, I had no idea what to post on there. I was, <laughs> I was, I was just like uh, photos. I'll, I'll chuck up a photo of myself here and there. Do I need to edit it in Photoshop? I don't know. Um, but um, eventually, it got into the swing of like having uh, people knowing people wanted to come to my Instagram to get like the most important updates of information because the, the consist every time I would post something like on Instagram, like, Hey, so this went down in Australia, like, as in like, have you seen this news or, um, do you know this about Australia's history? I would get comments like I never learned this or I've never heard this before, or this is my first time hearing about this. And I realized that there was this absolute importance for the stuff that I post on Instagram to be like, okay, I'm going to post the content that people want to hear, like the people that people can't hear anywhere else. Um, and like whether it's like the latest news that they might have missed or the history of Australia, um, that's how I use Instagram. That's how I know – that's how I want people to interact with my Instagram, but also having, having a fun time on in the meantime, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, posting posting pics when I'm out and about, like, by the beach or stuff or, you know, just having uh, having some fun on their, their Instagram reels with all the audios that they've got and not doing dance trends because I can't dance. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, nice. And how do you find... Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where, you know, people aren't taught a whole country's history in schools through the normal education system, but they're they're coming to you on Instagram to find out stuff. You know, do you get a lot of people that are just you know grateful for the knowledge? Do you get people that want to you know argue with you about it? How do you decide who you're going to engage with on those platforms? Yeah, that's been a that's been like a really big learning curve for my use of social media in general. Uh, because when I first started posting up this, posting up information on um, any form of social media, not just Instagram, um, I noticed that there was a lot of pushback from people being with wanting to argue. Like that was the initial response that I get, I got from things. People wanted to argue. People didn't want to accept information. Uh, people didn't want to learn, or people just wanted to say mean things on the internet, be ignorant, or all sorts of things. Uh, and the and the massive learning curve that I developed was like those people that wanted to push back, um, they're going to push back regardless of what I post, regardless of what I say in an argument, all that sort of stuff. And it's um, and once I stopped ignore when I once I started ignoring those people, I started to uh, really appreciate the uh, the people that would come along and be like you know what, thank you for this, I didn't hear this, or thank you for teaching me, thank you for educating. Um, it's a, it's stressful in the sense of, like, knowing that so many people are, like, signing into my platform to see what, <laughs> coming to my page to see what I've posted or to see what information is out. But um, it's also, it's a stress that also leads to great rewards for me because I know that in a lot of ways people are are equipped um, they're equipped to be able to have a conversation or they're equipped with the latest information that they need to know. Yeah, and are you finding that those people are also, you know, turning to each other and that you're kind of developing a bit of a community that talk amongst themselves there in the comments? 
Yeah, yeah. That was one of the most uh, exciting things to see, actually, because uh, when I first, like, started doing anything like this that I'm doing now, um, I never expected people to start, like, really having, like, these massive conversations in the things, not even, like, debates, just conversations. A lot of people like to share their experiences with each other. Um, a lot of people like to learn about each other. Um, and it really is this sense of community. I started seeing it like a few months ago, nearly half a year ago, actually, where I started to notice that people were just wanting to relate to each other in the comments. They wanted to relate to each other um, by creating like group chats on Instagram and stuff with me in it. <laughs> um, and just everyone wanted to really vibe with the information that they were getting because a lot of the time that they were hearing something they were like you know what that reminds me of this and someone would reply to them and be like hang on like you know that reminds me of this thing that happened to me and it's it's actually one of the most when I was talking about stress and reward that's what I mean when I say reward. Nice now you're really open about you know, mental health and you're really passionate about, you know, promoting more awareness around that. I, I too am really passionate about mental health and, and talk about that a lot online as well, but it can make you quite vulnerable. Mm. And I've found personally, you know, talking about those sorts of things, um, you know, people will want to check in with you and, and care about you, which is fantastic. But sometimes you don't want that and it happens at the worst times I'm, I'm just wondering how you personally deal with you know being open about mental health online yeah um that has been one of the most uh vulnerable things that I've had to do on social on on Instagram um on anything really is just opening up about um my struggles with mental health and also uh my experiences with the friends who have um who have unfortunately lost the battle to mental health and stuff like that. Um, and it's like, it's something that's always at the, at the foundation of a lot of things that I post, because when I'm trying to update people with information that's usually happening within black Australia and stuff like that, um, it's all because I want to make sure that where we're like fighting this crisis of people who are struggling with their mental health every day, especially within indigenous communities and stuff. Um, and it's a lot of the time it feels like I'm putting a lot on my shoulders. And then there's a lot of people, a lot of my own commenters who come in and they're, they're like, are you okay? You're doing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, you seem to be struggling. Do you need to take a break? And I feel like that's the comment that I get a lot is like, do you need to take a break um, and stuff like that? And um, a lot of the time, like I, like you said, like it's appreciated. It's it's good to hear. But for <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, actually, um, I, I, I don't need to hear this right now. Yeah. There's this absolute drive behind me. It's like, I need to keep this. I, I need people to know. I need people to know that um, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, here's my story. Here's how I'm coping every day. Here's how I've learned um, to be better to myself and all that. Um, but mental health is like, honestly, mental health is the core drive behind everything. Yeah. Yeah. 
So talk to me a bit about your Mardi Gras plans. What's on the slate? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm really excited for Mardi Gras. Um, um, I think there's there's a there's a lot going down. Uh, actually, uh, tomorrow night I'm really excited. I'm going to be um, on a tic, on a TikTok live really um, with a lot of bu- with a bunch of people um, uh, doing talking about Mardi Gras and having fun and games and stuff uh, with music musician Rita Ora. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, just just a casual Rita Ora. <laughs> yeah, just I'm just gonna name drop that one. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to be talking about like, uh, I'm going to be talking about like queer activism and blacktivism, like the crossover and my own intersectionality and my own identity as an indigenous non-binary person. Uh, but it's my, my Mardi Gras plans is that I'm, I'm actually, I'm down here in, I'm I'm usually based in Brisbane, but I'm down here in Sydney right now with my um, partner and, uh, we're going to be. Vibing with the, with everything that's going down, nice. the Mardi Gras stuff, the the marches, all of that, and everything. Yeah, but I'm pretty I'm pretty excited. Oh, sounds great! And what plans do you have for the future? What do you hope your Instagram grows into? Are you are you hoping to have two million followers? Are you are you just happy to have your you know your your core group of people hanging out? Do you do you have any goals there? Yeah, that's that's um. I think that's one of the uh, biggest questions that I always ask myself when it comes to um, Instagram, anything really, uh, is like my growth. Um, what's important to me when it comes to my growth and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but with Instagram, I think my biggest goals are is that um, I'd like it to I'd like it to grow. I'd, I'd really like it to grow because I want it to evolve into something where I can deliver information to people, where I can deliver myself to people. Um, and also talk about Indigenous issues, Indigenous affairs, Indigenous communities uh, and mental health, uh, all sorts of things, um, to not only the people that have been there from the start, but all the people that uh, want to hear it, all the people that need to hear it. Um, that's always what my platform is going to be in the future. And I really want it to keep growing and just in a way that people can know that um i'm not gonna like try and uh be gammon and like (laughs) like do it for do it for the wrong reasons but for the reasons that to make a difference at the end of the day is that my platform i want my platform to be able to make a difference that sounds like a pretty good plan before we go is there anything else that you wanted people to know about jumping on instagram you know building their own communities any advice that you've got yeah, actually, um, I think with Instagram, uh, uh, don't be afraid to show your real self. Um, I think uh, something that I've had to learn is that <laughs> go back to one of my early earliest Instagram photos. Here's me posting photos like I'm a heckin' model uh, <laughs> with like all the lighting done up and Photoshop, all the light effects and everything. Um, and realizing, I realized that you know that's not the real me. Um, if you're getting on Instagram, be yourself. Like, honestly, um, I know that a lot of people want to say it, but people want to see the real you and people can tell when it's not the real you. Uh, and the real you, um, is, should be the core of everything that you post and, um, the things that matter to you, uh, the things that make you happy, the things that really make you struggle and make you sad, be honest and open. People love that.
Sounds like some good advice. Thanks so much for chatting to me today. No worries. Thank you for contacting me. That was at Nick Topher. Go give him a follow. And that's all for another episode of Take It Black. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating, a review, give us a follow, tell your friends, tell your mum. And in the meantime, don't forget to take it black.